It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. The odds of becoming a signed artist and having three number one albums? One in 100 million. The odds of going on to win six Grammy Awards? One in 1.4 million. The odds of this performer having a child diagnosed with autism? One in 110. I'm Tony Braxton, and I encourage you to learn the signs of autism at AutismSpeaks.org. Autism Speaks. It's time to listen. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys. I'm your host, Joy Keys, and I want to thank you so much for tuning in. You can follow me on Twitter.com slash Joy Keys, and you can become a fan on Facebook. Just look up Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys. And I also encourage you to check me out on Instagram. On Instagram, I'm Saturdays with Joy Keys. Thank you so much for tuning in, and also thank you so much for supporting this show over the years past a million downloads of the podcast, wow. Like, I'm blown away that you want to hear my voice over a million times. Uh, also, I do have guests, so it's not just me. Uh, but thank you so much for the support. Really appreciate it, and I'm glad that you are enjoying the show. Well, today I'm speaking with a wonderful author. Wow, her book has so many different subjects. She's dealing with autism. She's dealing with the prison industrial complex. She's dealing with family. She's dealing with parent-child relationships. She's dealing with Vietnam. I mean, she has so much in her story. The name of the book is called Time of the Locust, and her name is Maroa Yejide, and she's here this morning. Good morning. Good morning. It's Yejide. Yejide. <laughs> Maroa okay, Yejide. No, no Yejide. problem. Okay. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be on the show. This is great. Well, wow. I mean, like I just mentioned, you have so many topics, and it sounds like it could possibly be confusing, but they're all intertwined. Like, you did a great job intertwining the characters in their lives, and we really got in-depth with them. Um, Let's just start at the beginning, you know, why are you a writer? Why not, you know, a singer or a scientist or something else. Was this your first career <laughs> choice? How did you how did you come to writing? No, I, I, I think I never did have a um conscious decision where I sat there and said, you know, when I was a little kid, I want to be a writer one day. But I did know that I wanted to work with words. I knew that mm. I loved different ways of communicating. Um as a kid I always liked foreign languages, you know, I started with French and later in high school and then in in high school I picked up Japanese and then I moved on wow, to more Japanese. Okay. And, yeah, so I, I was always fascinated with different ways of communicating and that I think is what um, kind of sparked my, my love of words, uh, my fascination with writing. And of course... Um, Writing is a is a very solitary activity, so 
it wasn't um, my first uh, conscious career choice, but all of the all of the things I've done over the years have had to do with writing in some way or another, nonfiction, technical writing, a lot of research. And that was always my first love anyway, you know, looking into something in um, not necessarily in a formal research way. That, that, right. uh, that came later. But kind of discovering, you know, what is this all about or what if. And that's really, I think, how my writing germinated. So now um, I should have said Ohio Gozaimas to you because isn't that like good morning in Japanese? <laughs> Oh, I do have a language. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, so um, but <laughs> let's let's talk about your process. You, it is a solitary thing. I mean, I don't think most writers have a lot of noise going on. But then some people have music. Do you go outside? Do you stay inside? Do you listen to your Walkman? What's your process uh, for writing? You well, for me, I love to have. Um, it's either complete silence, which is almost impossible when you have a family. However, you know, being an insomniac helps. So in the wee hours okay. of the, uh, you know, the wee hours, it's quiet. Or, um, you know, uh, my husband's very supportive, so the kids are gone, you know, at school or he's taking them somewhere to do something. But I, it either it's quiet or I use jazz. Miles Davis mm. or Coltrane. Those are okay. Miles Davis and Coltrane are kind of my, uh, you know, kind of my uh, get the get the pipes going lubricant that I use to um, kind of get inspired. It's almost like a, a a creative frequency, and I I just love it. I grew up listening to jazz. My dad is a huge jazz enthusiast, so it's it's kind of always a it was always a normal background sound. So I think it's That's a comfort. That's so funny. Mm-hmm. It That's is, same it for is. me, too. Well, no, same for me, too. My dad used to manage a jazz club uh, oh, here in wow. Philadelphia. And so me, I, too, the 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 jazz is, is comforting. Uh, the jazz that you chose is, is kind of uh, busy, so that was interesting, that that busyness, <laughs> though, is calming. You know what I'm saying? Like, some people yeah. don't like miles, and they, they can't deal with that, and I would go to Sun Rock concerts and just really fall uh-huh. out stuff. But, <laughs> but that is still calming, like that on in the house, then I'm cleaning, or I'm doing something, mm-hmm. or I'm reading, you know. Um, mm-hmm. It, it sure. works for me, you know what I mean? It's not boring. That's the, that's the no. key, I think. It's not boring, you know. And I, I, I don't find it kind of... That. I find it kind of matches the the brain synapses, you know, for me anyway. You know that fugue of sound, mm-hmm. and I and while I'm typing, you know, at a million miles a second, it just kind of matches me trying to catch, capture my thoughts as quickly as possible. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. So now, this is your first full book, correct? You had a story that that won Tokyo, um, Tokyo Chocolate. Chocolate. Yeah, I published. And, um, mm-hmm. I've published many short stories um, over the years, um, you know, 10-year overnight success. <laughs> but I, I've, I've published uh, many short stories. Uh, Tokyo Chocolate, as you mentioned, um, that was one of the ones that I published overseas in, in, uh, the, in the United Kingdom. Uh, published in Canada and, and Turkey. And, and um I also began when I started Time of the Locust. Um, it's actually um, a, I started with 
uh, chapters that I published as individual short stories. Mm-hmm. And I built I built the novel around those chapters. Um, that yeah, that makes published. sense because I can see that. It's so full. The, like I was saying, there are these stories that are so full, the characters, you really get to understand who they are uh, almost uh, entirety, if you will, and, but then they connect them with these other individuals. And it's not uh, staccato, if you will. It's, it's very mm-hmm. flowing. So that, that's what I liked about it. It wasn't jarring, if you will. I didn't go like, oops, oh, wait, okay, now you're talking about who? Who were they? Where are they right, from? Right, right, okay. right. Yeah. So yeah. Now, let's, let's, this book, this book is, is, is in-depth. And so how long did it take you to write Time of the Locust? It took about two years um, to write Time okay. of the Locust. In between, um, you know, a bunch of other things, you know, family, jobs. But I, I, on the side, I entered a MFA program. And so the, the Time of the Locust was my thesis. It was my uh, thesis for the program. Mm-hmm. Okay. And because okay. um, I had already, you know, been, I, I had been working on it before I entered the program, but I finished it while I was in the program and then, um, you know, I sought to get it published from there. So in if terms you, of publishing, that, that's, that's an issue that sometimes writers get kind of stuck in how, who, who do they go to, you know, who's going to accept them, you know, how long, how much money you're going to make, so on and so forth, how to pay the bills. Was it a difficult process? Was it very easy for you to get it published? How? What was the process for you? Um, publishing is such a fickle business, and I think it's primarily very fickle because reading and writing is a very subjective process. It's, it's very subjective. Mm-hmm. So you can't, there's no way to really determine um, what someone, you know, will prefer in terms of reading taste. Um, let me just back up uh, just a little bit. Time of the Locust um, is about a seven-year-old boy. It centers around a seven-year-old boy named Sefiri. This boy is autistic. He's nonverbal. And it's about his relationship with his mom, single mom raising him, and his relationship with his incarcerated father. So through magical realism, which is my favorite um, kind of story, mm-hmm. We kind of get a um, we go on an odyssey with this family, um, and it's li- very layered in in what um, Brenda, the mom, is going through, what the father went through, what led him to um, being incarcerated, and it's a window into the interior world of of this autistic child. Um, having said that, um, publishing it. I I didn't um when I was writing it I didn't think about the audience I didn't think about oh I wonder if the readers will like this or not I only centered on the concepts that I found fascinating and trying to really show a complex layered rich picture of what an African American family in this particular situation dealing with these particular challenges what might their lives look like um, mm-hmm. in right. in all reality. And as you probably know and have observed, um, there's not a whole lot of stories out there that tell um, uh, the, the African-American experience. Are you serious? Are you well, serious? There's not a lot of stories? I'm just messing up. <laughs> 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 the, 
that, that tell, oh that tell the stories in, in, in its fullness, in its complexity. Yes. You know, they, they tend to be very no. one-dimensional. And I was, I was always concerned with really getting at the why and how. Yes. How and why. Not Did just get what. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why don't so you read a little bit um, of, sure, of some sure. of that? I'm sorry. But go ahead. You sure. were to say about the publishing, though. The publishing. Oh, just, just really quickly. So I, I had a very uh, in the cockpit, atti- in the cockpit attitude with, with publishing. I didn't go the traditional route. I had an agent. I wasn't getting anywhere with that. I tried for two years. I fired the agent and just threw the whole <laughs> idea in the trash. So I, I did a build the airplane while you're flying approach. And okay. you know, I entered contests. I I entered Time of the Locust as a manuscript in the National Ten Bellwether Prize for Socially Engaged Fiction, and it placed as a finalist. And that gave me a lot of encouragement. So from there, I started yeah. pitching publishers directly, which is um, a big no-no. But I did it anyway, uh, in the hopes that you know the the story would stand on its own. And luckily, it did. I I, I was lucky in that regard. That. Uh, someone, uh, Malaika Darrow, who was the editor that actually did read my email. <laughs> she didn't read <laughs> it. She opened the email and actually read it. Um, and uh, the, the rest is kind of history from there. Well, I'm glad that she read it. And uh, why don't you read a little bit from, from the book? Sure. I'll read uh, a section from Safiri's point of view, the seven-year-old boy. Okay. What concerned him in air did not concern him in water. He did not need the laws of physics to reign in his terrors, frustrations, and confusions there. He did not need to spin or bang or rock or flap. He could forget about the creatures living in his dreams, the voice in the giant black box, the meaning of sounds and faces and smiles. He could forget about the words of air and speak freely in water where the language of men was as indecipherable to his friends of the deep as it was to him, an encrypted thing to ponder briefly and release, like the dialogue of wolves and birds in flight. So this young boy, as you mentioned, has autism. And let me just let the audience know that one in eight children are identified in the United States as having uh, autism spectrum disorder because it, it's a spectrum. There can be levels of severity, and this, uh, everybody has a different uh, symptoms, if you will, happening to them. Um, but in terms of African American children, um, unfortunately, they are being diagnosed at a later age, even though children can be diagnosed as early as age two. Mm-hmm. Uh, black and Hispanic children were identified with AS, uh, ASD more likely than white children that have intellectual disabilities. Um, And uh, the problem also occurs with getting services because there are so many wonderful services uh, and programs that have been developed over the years because the new, you know, information from research. But to Mm -hmm. get to those programs, to pay for those programs, you know, to work at the same time. Uh, Maroa, your book talks about also the caregiver aspect Mm-hmm. of a parent dealing with a child that has autism or ASD. And then on top of that, this is a single parent. So that's yeah. a whole other, she has no life. She can't go out to the store. She can't go to the cafe. She can't go out with her girlfriend. 
um, in order for her to get ready in the morning, um, the, the, the trouble that she has to go through. Did you talk to a parent? Because I noticed at the end of the book, you did, uh, or end of the beginning, you had thanked somebody. Did you speak to parents who had all, uh, autistic children? How did you research that? Is that I, just I from did. reading black copy? Okay. I did. I did a number of things. Um, I, of, of course, I read, you know, uh, pages and pages of the research on it, the observations on it. And autism is still quite a mystery. It's one of the mysteries of the mind, where there's still a lot that's not understood about autism. Um, I looked at um, many um, video blogs of parents themselves that you know that posted these blogs to, to kind of share. This is what my kid's doing today. This is what my day was like today. This is what autism looks like today and feels like today. And then I was fortunate to um, inter- interact and have a, a direct um, connection with moms who, when they had time anyway, because <laughs> it, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's very difficult to take time. But they, they, they opened their hearts and they shared with me, you know, this is what, it's, this is what it was like for me, this is what it's like for me um, some days. These are the things that um, we experience or I observe. But at the end of the day, what I was really trying to get at um, with Time of the Locust is, you know, looking at what parenthood, parenthood, these parents are moms and dads at the end of the day. They're not autistic moms or parents of autistic children only. They're mm-hmm. parents at mm-hmm. the core. And it goes. it's the same thing for um, parents who are incarcerated. They're still parents. You know, they, they still are fathers. They, they're still moms. They still want that tie, that bond with their child. That yearning is still there. And um, in a way, I tried to explore different ways that uh, we are, um, different ways that people are imprisoned. It's not just a, a physical prison that people find themselves in sometimes. It can be a an interior or mental prison prison that they're in based on a circumstance or a challenge that they're faced with. Uh, I think you did that great, not just for the child. I mean, you showed the child being in prison, the child wanting to talk and communicate with the land of the air, the air, which is the the area. The real world, yeah. The the real world is, and he likes the land of water, but um, he, he did want to. And then, like you said, people are trapped. You know, the characters in the prison, the, the prison warden, uh, the prison mm-hmm. guard, they're trapped. Um, they, they think they're trapping people and controlling mm-hmm. those people, but yet they too are trapped and cannot break out of their cycle and just have succumbed to it, you know. Um, and now let's talk about Horace. Horace is the father of the young boy, and he's in prison. Now, you know, when I started reading it, you you do this um, theatrical, I will say, uh, show of how he, his, his courtroom uh, situation yeah. uh, really liked that. It was very, very flamboyant, if you will, I think. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, I, I could visualize completely, like, I see that on the TV screen type of thing. And I was thinking, oh, man, another black man wrongly accused, wrongly imprisoned. But as you read the story, he did commit the crime. 
Yeah, he did. That, that, his yeah. character, he actually did commit the crime. So then I was like, okay, let me take, take a step back. Hmm, okay, so he actually did this. Okay, so, yes, I, you know, what should he pay or not pay? That's an interesting question you bring up. I think it's a great book for, for schools. It could be a great book for schools. I don't oh. know if anybody's approached you. Well, for actually, schools, yes. You know. Yeah, they have. I'll, I'll be doing um, the Penn Faulkner Foundation Writers in Schools program this year where I'll, I'll be at high schools, you know, sharing it as part of their curriculum and at a uh, the Bookmarks um, Festival of Authors on September 6th in Winston-Salem. I'll be visiting a high school there, too, to discuss the book. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there's issue of ethics, ethics, um, a lot of ethics questions going on there, and then the sociological questions, you know, uh, how the macro is affecting the micro. All these characters have uh, are being affected by micro events, but then they go out and mm-hmm. they affect macro. It's, it's just like, anyway. So let me focus here. <laughs> Horace is in prison, and so he's a black man in prison. He is not wrongly accused. He actually did this crime. So I had to step back and deal with that issue. But then... He's imprisoned in this horrific, oh, my God, this is just like Attica times a 1,000 or something. You know, how did you think of this prison that he is put in um, and this horrible warden? It's just crazy. Well, it's it's a supermax facility in Colorado, Black Plains, in the story is called Black Plains. And, um, you know, the, of course, this is fiction, and I was able to extrapolate a lot through my own imagination. But unfortunately, a lot of this stuff you don't actually have to make up. Um, I, mm-hmm. Similarly with the autistic uh, children, parents of autistic children, I read a, a lot of prison letters. I read um, Mumia Abdul-Jamal letters. I looked at a lot mm-hmm. of um, uh, those that weren't censored anyway, um, perspectives from guards of of what it's like to work in a prison and then the question became what is not you know what's not in the letters what what isn't in the documentaries on these on these institutions um only recently we've even uh, the news media has even been allowed to um, do any uh, filming or expose. Frontline did a, did a thing recently on solitary confinement. So for the most part, solitary confinement, supermax facilities, these are underworlds, if you will. These are hidden realms um, within the United States. And so it seemed appropriate to me, given the conditions and the, things, the horrific things that are disclosed, um, about these facilities and psychological damage that this type of um, incarceration can inflict. Um, yeah. It seemed very, 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 very fitting to use um, a, a, um, a mythology of hell to describe it. And yeah, I, definitely. I'm, I'm I mean, very... three levels down, three levels... You, you didn't go one level. And then I was like, why is he going automatically to solitary confinement? I mean, okay... How many people have killed people? Lots of people have killed people. They don't automatically go to solitary confinement. I was like, wow, she's going, like, deep, you know. I just was, like, crazy. And then, of course, I thought about Oz. I don't know if you ever saw the uh, TV show Oz. And they dealt a lot with the solitary confinement and 
what happens to the psychological and seeing things and making pictures on the wall. Now they have the female, orange is the new black, and they got into it a little bit. But um, Oz definitely went, you know, really deep. People weren't, you know, ready for that. And that Mm -hmm. goes again back to ethics. Yes, somebody did wrong, but then, you know, are we there to um, help them? Are we there to punish them? That's always been the battle between prison I mean, ever since America mm-hmm. was founded, you know, what do we do with criminals, you know? Yeah, and and this, that's what I tried to represent with um, the warden, who knows good and well that this this is not a this is not about rehabilitation, you know, at all. But you know, oh, going no, back to going back to the ethics of the the courtroom, you know, I looked at transcripts, real transcripts. So mm-hmm. these transcripts are theatrical, you know. The attorneys, yeah. prosecuting attorneys, often are putting on a performance, and these these performances, depending on who the attorney is, is really driven by the baggage that people bring, uh, the perceptions that people bring to the table about other people. Yeah. And and mm-hmm. I tried to capture time in terms of time. I tried to capture the beginning of the spike of the incarceration levels in this country, you know, mid-80s, the the rise of the crack era, all of those things that contributed to it. And I also wanted to look at the beginning of really attorneys uh, or the law institutions really utilizing the Patriot Act because the Patriot Act has been on the books for quite a while. It's only mm-hmm. that we it's it began to take center stage during the Bush era, um, but the Patriot Act, where you where you could be um, convicted as as a domestic terrorist, is not new or you know recent for 9/11 at all. It's been on the books. So I tried to look at the beginning of the spike of things, so that the reader could could look at today and and they wouldn't be a stretch because the numbers were much although the numbers of incarceration were horrific even in the 80s and 90s the reader knows that it's much much worse now yeah well i based on a, uh, some statistics from the NAACP it said from 1980 to 2008 first it was 500,000 then it went up to 2.3 million people mm-hmm. and yeah. today the US is 5% of the world population but has 25% of the world's prisoners. So just yeah. think about that. We have five. We're 5% of the world's population, but we have 25% of the world's prisoners. And I always talk to people about this because I say, what does this? Not, you know, people are looking at individual cultures and ethnicities and what they do and what they don't do. Are they good? Are they bad? We, mm-hmm. as a whole, are Americans. So are you saying to the globe, Americans are more? Uh, are they are uh, more a criminal than the rest of the world? You see what I'm saying? Like, so yeah. not just not just ethnicities, but as a whole. Why in the world are Americans more criminal? Like, is there something genetic? Being like you got born on this 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 piece of grass here, then all of a sudden that makes you more of a criminal. The rest of the world is not doing any crimes. People don't shoot people. They don't kill people. They don't rape people. Are you serious? Yes, they do. Are they doing drugs? Yes, they do. I mean, mm-hmm. what the heck? You know what I mean? Like as a whole, as a thinking as a nationalist, it's 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 a, a shame to be an American that we have so many people in prison. You know, for me, I feel. 
But mm-hmm. and you know, I you yeah. know, yeah. And I was at an event. I, I was doing a reading at the Schomburg Center in New York Center, New York City, in July, and th- this was the topic of the audit. This is what they wanted to talk about. And I, and I said, you know, mm-hmm. you, we can't talk about the American tapestry without talking about the prison system. It's the elephant oh, yeah. in the room. Oh, definitely. You know, definitely. it's the well, it's the and and, it, and for black families, um, we can't talk about black families without talking about those larger issues that impact us um, in in a in a very very powerful way. Well, I think you did a great job. That's one issue too that we could talk about. Just we have real quick couple minutes. The issue of marriage. I'm not sure if you did that purposely, but you talk a lot about the black families and at different stages in the history of America. You lay it out, um, you know, from you know the slavery, and then you go to the you know the 60s and the revolutionary and Horace's father, Mandan's father, being the activist. Um, and what happens to black families because of macro systems, macro laws, macro beliefs, you know, um, lynching, you know, you go from lynching, you talk about shooting of the activists, you know, think, and it brings to mind, of course, you know, Malcolm X, uh, Martin Luther King time. And then um, now with, you know, Horace, and, you know, he did commit a crime, but why did he commit that crime? And also mental health issues. So many things yeah. in here. We can't. We don't have enough time to talk about them all. People have to go get her book. I'm going to give you giving away a copy of your book. So uh, I want to say thank you. Thank you for coming on today. Joy, you have one other part so you want wonderful. to read? Sure, I can. <laughs> thank you. I can, okay, um, yeah, read can, one other part. Okay, I'll, this is from Horace's uh, perspective. Okay. Horace Thompson. Inmate number 02763 could still remember the pull of gravity when he first arrived at the Black Plains Correctional Institute, how the elevator scaled down each sub-level, the click and scrape of metal that grew muted as he neared the lowest level. He had ridden it down with the guards slowly, and it landed at the solitary confinement level elegantly, as if touching down on the surface of the moon. The elevator doors hissed open with the release of pressure, and he was led to a door on the day that would begin his life in a crypt, the day he would enter Amenta, that ancient Egyptian underworld where the sun had set and rose no more, where the dead and all last things were buried, where the lingering spirits roamed. Wow, wow. So you guys got to get this book, Time of the Locust. It will take you places that you didn't know you could go, so be careful. Maybe read it during the day. Don't read it at nighttime. Or <laughs> <laughs> it's an odyssey. It's an odyssey. And join me. Join me on social media, Maroa Yejide. www.maroayejide.com. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Goodreads. I just finished a wonderful book discussion with a book group called Literary Fiction by People of Color on Goodreads, and we had a wonderful time discussing the themes um, in Time of the Locust. So join us on the Odyssey. The discussion continues. It's an important discussion. Our families are important. What happens to our men and women and children are important. Definitely, our stories definitely. are important. I'm our stories are important. They need to be heard. And also so that people who are going through these issues can reflect and say, oh, I'm not, oh, okay, I'm not the only one. Because a lot of times with many issues, whether it's mental health, physical health, 
whatever it is, you're, you're, you feel sometimes isolated. And because of your, your situation, you become isolated. You don't realize you're not the only one going through this. Okay, so how did you handle it? Oh, maybe I could use that skill or technique or something. So I'm mm-hmm. so happy, again, that you wrote this book. And I encourage others to pick up the book, um, to read, share, share with your children, share with the schools in your neighborhood, um, pass it along because there's so many themes in there that can be used in education uh, and, and take the education of the youth to a different level. And even in college, I mean, definitely I could see it as a, a book uh, in some literary uh, classroom or classroom dealing with race, with ethics, sociology, so on and so forth. Again, thank you so much for coming on today. <laughs> thank you, Joy. This has been wonderful, a delight. Thank you. You have a great Saturday, okay? You do the same until we speak again. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Please, I encourage you to pick up Time with the Locust. I'll be giving away a copy of the book. Uh, You can follow me at Joy Keys or become a fan on Facebook. Also, you can check me out on Instagram. If you tag me in a photo on Instagram, you could win a copy of the book. And um, I just encourage you to pick it up. It's a wonderful story. It has many stories in it. Um, from the child's view, from the parent's view, from family, from society. So please, I encourage you to pick up a copy of the book. Thank you again for tuning in. You guys have a great weekend. In 1977, an eight-year-old boy picked up the game of golf from his father. The odds of that same boy winning the U.S. Open twice, one in 1.2 billion. The odds of him having a child diagnosed with autism, one in in 110. Ernie Els encourages you to learn the signs of autism at AutismSpeaks.org. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.